Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you that there's so many that are eager to be coming together to study your word, especially during this time. And I pray that you would speak through me this evening and that we would gain the blessing that we need. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I actually shared a message for my church this past Sabbath over Zoom. And some of what I share with you this evening will be similar to what I shared with them, but some of it will be more of a study format. The first thing that I want to say is this, you know, sometimes you hear people say, you know, let's just talk about Jesus and everything is going to take care of itself. Um, You hear people say, I'm not so worried about what's coming as long as I know who is coming. Um, But I do want to offer some friendly caution to that kind of a mentality. Jesus actually gave us um, prophecy so that we would not be deceived because he said many would come in my name saying that I am he. Um, But there's only one manner in which Christ is going to come. And there's plenty of prophetic events that we can have confidence in. And if we have this mentality that as long as I know who's coming, I don't need to be so concerned about what is coming, then you could be deceived by the who because you don't know what. So it is important to know what is coming. That's why God told us so that we wouldn't be deceived. And I'm making the assumption in this care group that you are, you all have a a very firm and grounded walk with Christ. And so based on that assumption, I'm going to challenge you um, to, you know, at a higher level so that, you know, we're looking at prophecy with the understanding that we're grounded in Christ. Christ is our hope. Christ is our center. Christ is our theme. Christ is our focus. And because of that, Christ is the one that revealed prophecy to us. For example, Matthew chapter 24, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but Matthew chapter 24 is an entire chapter on prophecy in which Jesus gives us the signs of his coming and of the end of the world. And that's connected to Luke chapter 21, which is very similar. And um, there's a couple of variations, but Um, it actually helps to clarify some of the issues about the signs of Christ coming out of the end of the world. So, um, and then, yeah, Mark 9 is is connected to that as well. Those are the three prophetic chapters in the Gospels. And so Jesus gives us prophecy. One thing that I sometimes find with Seventh-day Adventists as well is that there is Um, an understanding that a Sunday law is coming, but then there seems to be a bit of a lack of understanding as to how to show that from the Bible. Now, I may be speaking to the choir here, but I do want to give you a brief overview of, of how I think we can show very effectively and very clearly from Scripture that a Sunday law actually is coming. And one of the reasons why I felt impressed to share that idea with this group tonight is that there are a lot of ideas that are bouncing around right now. And I've seen some things on the internet that have suggested that we might be in the early time of trouble, that we may be in the siege of Jerusalem, prophetically speaking. And so I'm going to share with you a couple of of verses, actually from Luke 21 and Matthew 24, to start off, speaking of the Sunday law, and then we're going to go to Daniel and Revelation um, to, to show how you would give a clear Bible study to a non-Adventist without using any Ellen White quotes although I believe in Ellen White, and we're going to use Ellen White here at the beginning of the study. Um, But if you were just going to show somebody um, why we believe what we believe about a Sunday law, we're going to do that from the Bible. Interestingly, in my practice today, I um, 
was talking to one of my coworkers, and she's a, a fine Christian young lady. She's a Baptist, and she's worked with me for probably six years. And she, of course, knows that I'm, that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and we've had spiritual conversations. But today, I actually had a conversation with her, and I said, you know, her name's Whitney. I was like, Whitney, I, I need to tell you some things probably that you've never heard from me before. I'm like, um, if this crisis gets worse and it doesn't come back around and i'm not saying that it it's going to get worse and not come back around it may very well pass but i told her if it doesn't get better if you start to see leading ministers of the land advocate for um, sunday worship um, just know that we've reached the end of the world and she was very interested and i actually um, gave her a copy of a book that i just wrote recently which this is this is the book. It's called Daniel Practical Living in the Judgment Hour. You can get a copy from Remnant Publications if you're interested. But, you know, people are, are searching and people are interested right now. So I'm going to just read to you. Let's go to Luke 21. We're going to go to Luke chapter 21. And this is discussing, or this is Jesus speaking in verses 20 and 21. So Luke chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, here Jesus says, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein to you. So this verse is describing Jesus saying, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the Roman army, that's the time to flee. That's what we call the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman army. In Matthew chapter 24, 15 is the parallel verse in Matthew 24. And rather than it being described as the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem, there's a different term that Jesus uses, and we'll see it here. Verse 15, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place whoso readeth let him understand then verse 16 says then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains and it goes on so in in Luke 21 we see it's the siege of Jerusalem with the Roman army surrounding the city in Matthew 24 it's described as the abomination of desolation when um, they stand in the holy place which the holy place was a territory outside of the wall of Jerusalem and when the Roman army placed their pagan idolatrous standards in what was considered to be holy territory, that was uniting the profane with that which was sacred. That's the abomination of desolation. That's the siege of Jerusalem. And Ellen White has a statement where there's the prophetic application of this abomination of desolation um, to the National Sunday Law. And I'll, I'll go ahead and type in the reference here in the the chat box so that you'll have this. This is from Testimonies, Volume 5, pages 464 and 465. And I, 5T stands for Testimonies, Volume 5. So 5T, 464, 465. Notice what Ellen White says. The time is not far distant when, like the early disciples, we shall be forced to seek a refuge in desolate and solitary places. As the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was the signal for flight to the Judean Christians. So the assumption of power on the part of our nation in the decree enforcing the papal Sabbath will be a warning to us. It will then be time to leave the large cities to leaving the smaller ones for retired homes and secluded places among the, the mountains. So LOI makes it very clear. There is a time to leave the cities. That does mean Loma Linda. Sorry for those of you who are there, but, um, there will come a time when you do need to leave and the drop dead date for leaving the city, including Loma Linda would be the Sunday law. So when people have said on social media that this COVID-19 pandemic is the siege of Jerusalem, that's um, a misapplication of Bible prophecy. It's the national Sunday law that will be the abomination of desolation, which is the siege of Jerusalem, which is symbolized by being God's people. Or so that will be the time for God's people to leave the cities at the National Sunday Law. So, so hopefully that's clear. So don't be confused if you hear people saying that the COVID-19 pandemic 
is the siege. The COVID-19 pandemic, if you look in Matthew 24, specifically verse 7, for example, um, it's a pestilence that is a clear sign that Jesus is coming again. This pandemic is certainly something the likes of which none of us have lived long enough to have seen. A 9-11 was rather momentous. It was a shock. It came out of nowhere. And I was a second-year medical student at Loma Linda when that happened. And after a few weeks, everyone kind of calmed down. And, yeah, the world changed. But then we kind of got on with our lives. It was two cities that were affected. But um, California, nothing really changed. We just kind of kept doing what we did and moved along. But this pandemic has affected the entire world. I went through town today. Um, Restaurants had signs up saying they're closed till the pandemic's over. Um, Subway said they're 60% down in my town. I'm sure it's worse in some places. So, I mean, this is definitely a pestilence. And it will be interesting to see where it goes from here. So it's certainly possible that if it gets bad enough, um, and I'm going to share some thoughts at the end that show how this could lead to that, it could get bad that if it doesn't bounce back, if the pandemic just doesn't go away, perhaps this could lead to the final crisis of Earth's history. But I'm not here to predict that it's going to be that way. It's certainly possible that it could let up in the next several weeks or a few months, and we will see. A lot of it really depends on whether or not we as God's people are ready for the final crisis of Earth's history, and this is a, a testing time, a proving ground. Just to make things a little bit practical, I mean, if, you know, the way you're reacting to this internally and spiritually is a good measure of your faith. Are you ready for the final crisis of Earth's history? If you're complaining like, God, I can't believe you let this happen, and this has messed up my whole life and all of my plans, and all of, this is the fifth crisis in the last 10 months, how much more are you going to throw on my plate? God, I can't take this anymore. Well, now you're starting to sound like the children of Israel in the wilderness. Um, whereas if you're using this as an opportunity to strengthen your walk with the Lord, then that gold is being refined in the fire, being prepared for the final crisis of Earth's history. Okay, so let's go to Revelation 13. And this is going to be our study on how we can show from Scripture that a Sunday law is coming and where that comes from and so forth. Now, we're not going to go through every verse in Revelation 13. We're just going to look at some of the key verses. Revelation 13 starts off with this beast that comes up out of the sea. Um, Revelation 13 one says, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now, I should mention as well that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you study the book of Revelation, you will get a clear picture of who Christ is. And Revelation 13, this chapter is specifically the revelation of Antichrist. So the picture of the Antichrist beast here is the opposite of who Christ is. So unfortunately, some Adventists, the only thing they know about Revelation is basically Revelation 13. Um, but it's gotten even worse where a lot of Adventists don't even know how to understand this chapter. And so certainly right now with what's happening, we want to understand this. So we see a beast. It's coming up out of the sea. Based on Revelation 17:15, we understand that sea or waters represents multitudes, peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So this beast is coming up out of a populated area of the earth, and it has seven heads and ten horns. Now, we get a better idea of who this beast is based on verse 2, which says the beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and authority. Now, we understand who the dragon is based on the previous chapter, Revelation 12, verse 9. The dragon is the old serpent called the devil and Satan. So this is a satanic power. And... When you look at its characteristics, it becomes very clear who this power represents. It's coming out of a populated area of the earth, and it's a composite beast that 
is like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Now, where have we seen beasts that are described as a as a lion, a bear, and a leopard in, in Scripture? And yeah, um, Daniel has correctly identified that we see this in Daniel chapter seven. This should be pretty basic. We understand that the the lion represents Babylon, the, the bear represents Medo-Persia, and the leopard represents Greece. But here in Revelation 13, we see that this is a composite beast that combines those kingdoms. And this is where um, we see that this beast has components of Babylon in it, Medo-Persia, and Greece. And certainly when you look at the 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 beast of Daniel 7 with a dreadful beast, which was the fourth beast, you, we understand that that's Rome. Now here's the other um, part that brings Rome into this. You see that this beast has seven heads and ten horns. If you study the beast of Daniel 7, the lion has one head, the bear has one head, but the leopard has four heads, and then the dreadful beast has another head. So if you add um, those heads together, you have one and one plus four. That gets you to six and then the fourth one has another one. That, that's seven heads. So now you have all of the heads from the four beasts in Daniel 7, and then the ten horns are also seen because there were ten horns on the fourth beast. So, so Rome is included as well, even though you don't see the dreadful beast specifically mentioned or the teeth of iron specifically mentioned. The seven heads identify Rome as being part of this. So we have Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, and Rome connected a beast. But here's what I want you to, to look at. Um, in verse 5 of Revelation 13, so Revelation 13, 5, and again, the purpose of this study is to prove that a Sunday law is coming based on Scripture. So you may be wondering, how, how have we gotten there? Because we, we see later in Revelation 13 where it's discussed. But, but notice this, we have a composite beast that combines Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome. And from that fourth beast came the little horn. Um, but in verse 5, speaking of this beast, it says, There was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Now, this beast, it says it has a mouth speaking blasphemies. Which part of the beast had the mouth? In verse 2. Revelation 13, 2. Which part of the beast had, had the mouth? And that's correct. The, the lion is the one that had the mouth. Now, who does the lion represent? The lion represents Babylon. So this beast in Revelation 13 has the mouth of a lion speaking great things and blasphemies. And, you know, I'll mention this as a neurologist, which I think this is kind of cool. Um, the mouth speaks based on what the brain tells it to say. And specifically, it's the left frontal lobe. I'm, I'm pointing to my left frontal lobe here. It's the inferior left frontal lobe where Broca's area is located. And that is the expressive speech area of the brain. So when, when it says that this beast has a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and that mouth is the mouth of a lion, that means that this beast has the mind of the lion, which means it has the mind of Babylon. So that's why we call this beast Babylon, because it has the mind of Babylon. Even though its feet are um, like the bear and the body is like the leopard, its mind is um, controlled or run by Babylon. And by the way, if you look at the, the various things that... Um, all of the kingdoms bring together as a composite beast that comes together with the papacy. And so you have the head of gold or the mind of the lion being Babylon, which is 
um, blasphemy towards God. And then Medo-Persia brought in infallibility, saying that their laws could not be changed. And then Greece, the leopard, brought in humanism, where the the laws of men supersede the laws of God. And then Rome brought in persecution. And all of that's brought together into one power with the papacy. So this beast that has a mouth speaking great things and it has power for 42 months. So the 42 months is referring to what time prophecy? So 42 times 30 is 1260. And so this is referring to the 1260 years of supremacy of the papacy. Now this is where things get interesting. If you go to Daniel chapter seven and you see these various kingdoms, and you see this mouth that speaks great things. It's specifically the little horn that has a mouth speaking great things. And you see that mentioned four times in Daniel chapter 7. The, the little horn has a mouth speaking great things in Daniel 7 verse 8, in Daniel 7 verse 11, um, in Daniel 7, verse 19, and then again in Daniel 7, verse 25. So verses 8, 11, 19, and 25, you see that the little horn has a mouth speaking great things. And we see that it was it's this beast of Revelation 13 that has the mouth of a lion speaking great things. Well, the little horn in Daniel 7 is the papacy. It comes up after Rome. And in verse 25, it rules for the time, time, and dividing of time, which is the 1260 years. I'm making some assumptions that you guys know this stuff. But notice specifically what it is about this little horn that causes it to have a mouth speaking great things. And this is the famous verse of Daniel 7.25. And now I hope you'll start to see how I'm starting to prove from Scripture alone where the Sunday law is going to come from. So this beast has a mouth speaking great things. And in verse 25, it says, he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given to do his hand until a time and times in the dividing of time. So during the 1260 years, this little horn power, which is the papacy, changed the law of God. So that was prophesied through. So we see they persecute God's saints. They wear out the saints of the Most High for 1260 years. And during that time, they thought they could change the law of God with a mouth that was speaking great things. So the way that the little horn, which is the same power in Revelation 13, has a mouth speaking great things for 1260 years is that it presumes to be able to speak as if it were God on earth and that it could change God's law itself. And historically, we understand that the Catholic Church changed Sabbath to Sunday. And by doing so, they violated God's law which is why when we go back to Revelation 13, it says the dragon gave his power seat and authority to this beast power because the dragon in the very previous verse or in the just previous chapter at the end of that chapter, it says he's enraged or wroth with a woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the dragon who gave his power seat and authority to the papacy has tried to change the law of God. And that's how he has a mouth speaking great things because he's trying to change the law of God and the dragon is speaking through the first beast. So when you look at this beast of Revelation 13 verse 5, when you see that he has a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies for 1260 years, one of the ways that he had a mouth speaking great things was by trying to change the law of God. Now, we understand, based on verse 3 of Revelation 13, that the papacy suffered a deadly wound at the end of the 1260 years, and that happened in 1798. And at that point, the papacy lost its control over the state. It's still a church power, but it doesn't have absolute power over the state. So... Then when we move on later into Revelation 13 and we see the second beast, 
in verse 11, this in Revelation 13, 11 says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. So this beast starts off looking like a lamb and who's the lamb in the book of Revelation? Jesus. I mean, we see that very clearly um, that Jesus, in fact, Revelation 13, 8, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We see Jesus as the lamb who was slain in Revelation 4 and 5. Um, so this second beast coming up out of the earth, which is an unpopulated area. So the first beast comes out of the populated area of the world. That's Western Europe. The second beast comes out of the unpopulated area of the earth. That's the United States of America. And he starts off with a Christian um, appearance, looking like Christ, looking like the lamb. And the two horns that, and the horns represent that which gives a nation power in scripture. Horns represent power. The, the horns that gave power to the United States were republicanism and Protestantism. That's not the Republican Party. Republicanism means uh, a government that protects the minority, meaning that based on the Constitution, 51% of Americans couldn't vote Seventh-day Adventist into prison as it stands right now. So the Constitution protects the minorities of this country and we have constitutional rights. Um, and then Protestantism um, is the, the principle of religious liberty. So we have civil liberty, we have religious liberty. Those are the two horns of this beast. But interestingly, it says he spake as a dragon. So what I want you to think about now is this. Who is the dragon in, in Revelation? Well, clearly it's Satan. And who did this? And so then, so then, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, okay, well, the United States is going to speak as a dragon. That means it's going to speak like Satan. And that's true. But who did the dragon give his power, seat, and authority to? Based on Revelation 13, 2, who did the dragon give his power, seat, and authority to? Yeah, that's right. He gave it to the beast, and the beast represents who? That's right. The beast represents the papacy. So if the second beast speaks like the dragon, and the first beast had a mouth speaking great things, wouldn't it make sense then to say, based on this verse, that when the second beast speaks like a dragon, it's going to speak in the same manner in which the first beast spoke. Does that make sense? And when the first beast spoke, it had a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And when that first beast spoke, it thought it could change times and laws. And that's when Sabbath was changed to Sunday. So when the second beast speaks, Scripture is telling you, Hey, go back to Daniel 7, and you'll know exactly what this is referring to. You have this first beast that has all of the composites of the beasts of Daniel chapter 7, and then the little horn comes up out of the fourth beast, and it has a mouth speaking great things, and when it speaks, it will seek to change times and laws and persecute the saints. And so then you get to Revelation 13, and you see in Revelation 13 that the composite beast has the mouth of a lion, which is Babylon, and Babylon is speaking, invested with the power and authority given to it by the dragon who is Satan. And when they speak, they try to change God's law, and they do so by changing Sabbath to Sunday. Then you have the second beast, the United States of America, that starts off with civil and religious liberty. And friends, those of us who live here in the United States of America, we have been blessed to live in the greatest nation that God has ever brought into existence. We have had civil and religious liberty up until this time. And yet a day is coming when this nation will speak as a dragon, and a nation speaks through its laws. And when it speaks as a dragon, it will speak like the first beast of Revelation who received its power, seat, and authority from the dragon. And when this beast speaks, it will be 
through a law that will legislate the day on which we worship, uh, honoring the Sunday Sabbath over the true Sabbath. So you can just show that from Scripture. You don't need to go to Ellen White and find statements from great controversy. That's great for us as Seventh-day Adventists to share with each other and to show what's going to happen. But you can do this Bible study with a non-Adventist and show them the history. These are the, And it may take a few studies, potentially, for them to understand everything. But you can show them Daniel 7. These are the kingdoms represented. And this is what the little horn did. And this is how it changed the law of God. And then you take them to Revelation 13 and you say, this is the composite beast of, of those kingdoms in Daniel 7. And it changed God's law. And the second beast is going to do the same thing. And when that happens, then we go to the rest of Revelation 13. It's verse 12 says, He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell there and to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So then we see that they do cause the earth to worship the first beast. And then you see that they do great wonders. He makes fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, which we saw fire coming down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men at Mount Carmel. In that case, it was to show that God was the true God of Israel. In this case, it will be done by this false prophet of Protestant, apostate Protestant America, who will make it look as if God is on the side of this Sunday law issue. And then you see that there will be a deception. He will deceive them that dwell on the earth by the means of the miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Um, and then you see that there's the image to the beast. And then the next verse, verse 15, talks about the mark, um, or the mark of the beast goes on, sorry, down in verse 17. So there's going to be an escalation where you, you can't buy, you can't sell, and finally um, you would be put to death. I want to say a couple of things now. Well, let, let me, because I'm going to share now some Ellen White statements just to to add to what I've shared here. Um, hopefully what I've shared from the Bible um, so far has made sense. The, do, you know, if, if somebody doesn't see the connection that I made between Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 and the second beast speaking as a dragon, if you'd like me to go over that again, let me know right now. I'd be happy to do that. But um, the, did that make sense to all of you? Because the reason the reason I shared this is because I want as many Seventh-day Adventists as possible to be able to give a very clear Bible study on the fact that a Sunday law is coming. We're not just making this up. This isn't just something that the pioneers came up with that nobody can figure out now. It's very clear. And um, if you just connect Daniel 7 to Revelation 13, there's no way you can miss the Sunday law application. And we need to know that, especially right now, Seventh Avenue. So I just, again, it's not going to save you to be able to do that, but if you're being led by the Holy Spirit, God has given us this information so that we can help people to not be deceived and to avoid receiving the mark of the beast. Because remember, those who receive the mark of the beast will receive the outpouring of the seven last plagues. So it sounds like that's um, clear to, to all of you. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, I would like to ask something because sure, please. I was like writing as fast as I could, but uh, like I can see it. Like I grew up knowing all this stuff, but is there a way to like, type this out in order and like how to present these verses because yeah it's it was just like a lot and maybe I'm the only one that feels that way but I feel like I do need like more of like a step-by-step kind of thing if that's like available anywhere sure so what I would say and I'm glad you brought that up because I I want this to be clear what I would say is the best way to see this in a step-by-step fashion is to start in Daniel chapter 7 and to understand the four kingdoms that are represented there first. So you understand that the first kingdom is represented by a lion, that's Babylon. The second king is represented by a bear, that represents Medo-Persia. The third kingdom is represented by 
the leopard, which represents Greece. The fourth kingdom is, is a dreadful beast, which has iron teeth, which connects to the iron legs of Daniel 2. That represents Rome. And then you have the little horn that comes out of that fourth beast. And that little horn has a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And you'll, as you go through Daniel 7, you get to verse 25, you see that that little horn um, speaks great words against the Most High, and he thinks to change times and laws. So that's so that's that's your sequence of kingdoms in Daniel seven, and you see that it was the little horn that tried to change God's law from Sabbath to Sunday, um, and that's what the Catholic Church did. Then, when you come to Revelation thirteen, you see all of those beasts are a composite of the first beast of Revelation thirteen. You have the body of a leopard, the feet of a bear, and the mouth of a lion. And what that's telling you is that um, all of the kingdoms that you saw in Daniel 7 are combined into one kingdom in Revelation 13. And then you make the connection that the lion, or, or it says that this beast has a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, so it's speaking like a lion, but it speaks for the same length of time that the little horn did in Daniel 7.25. So then you realize, wow, the, the beast of Revelation 13 that has a mouth speaking great things is the same power as the little horn in Daniel 7.25. And the little horn in Daniel 7.25 is the papacy, and they tried to change the law of God. Revelation 13 is also the papacy reigning for 1260 years trying to change the law of God. Then, and well, and so I'll stop right there. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, thank you. Good. So then, the, so then the key connection then is when you get to the second beast, the second beast in Revelation 13, verse 11, it says, um, he starts off as a lamb, but then it says, he spake as a dragon. When he speaks as a dragon, it's the dragon who gave the first beast his power, seat, and authority. So when the spe- second speak, second beast speaks like, the dragon, he speaks the same way the first beast speaks. And when he speaks that way, it's through a Sunday law. Um, and that's, that's how you can show that from, from scripture. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for asking for that clarification. Cause I definitely want you to understand that. And I, I'll, I'll mention this again. If you want more information on the kingdoms of Daniel seven, you can get my book from remnantpublications.com on the book of Daniel. And it goes through all of that. You can order it from them directly remnantpublications.com. Um, I'm going to read to you a couple of statements as we come to um, the last few minutes of our study here, because I want to make that relevant because so I just did a little study um, showing that, yeah, Sunday law is coming. And we've taught that for years and years and years of Seventh-day Adventists. And some of my friends and people who are younger than me and people who are the older than me roll their eyes when you talk about a Sunday law. But I'm telling you, it's coming. The Bible says that it is. And Ellen White gives us some inside information that there's going to be plagues and calamities that will cause the people of the land to call for such a thing. Um, so um, I'm reading to you a statement, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type this in, um, and that's a good question about the close of probation. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that after I read these quotes. I'm going to give you a statement from Great Controversy 579. You can read before and after to, to get the more complete context. This is Ellen White speaking. She says, since the middle of the 19th century, students of prophecy in the United States have presented this testimony to the world. And if you read the context, this is that there's going to be a Sunday law. In the events now taking place, has seen a rapid advance toward the fulfillment of the prediction. With Protestant teachers, there is the same claim of divine authority for Sunday keeping and the same lack of scriptural evidence as with the papal leaders who fabricated miracles to supply the place of a command from God. Now listen to this. This is the key thing I want you to hear. The assertion that God's judgments are visited upon men, or yeah, the assertion that God's judgments are visited upon men for their violation of the Sunday Sabbath will be repeated. Already it is beginning to be urged in a movement to enforce Sunday observance as fast 
gaining ground. So she says in that statement that when God's judgments are poured upon men, people are going to claim it's because it's been a violation of Sunday. Now, this next statement is even more amazing, but it's a less known quote. It's from Review and Herald, September 17, 1901, paragraph 9, and I'm typing this in the the chat box so that you have the exact reference. Review and Herald, September 17, 1901. So this is what Ellen White says. Um, the spirit of God is being withdrawn from the earth. When the angel of mercy folds your wings and departs, Satan will do the evil deeds he has long wished to do. Storm and tempest, war and bloodshed, in these things he delights, and thus he gathers in his harvest. And so completely, and I listen to this, so completely will men be deceived by him that they will declare that these calamities are the result of the desecration of the first day of the week. Now listen as she goes on. She says, from the pulpits of the popular churches will be heard the statement that the world is being punished because Sunday is not honored as it should be. And it will require no great stretch of imagination for men to believe this. They are guided by the enemy, and therefore they reach, con- reach conclusions which are entirely false. So a time is coming when you will hear from the popular pulpits of, of the Sunday churches of this land that the calamities that are falling on our nation are the result of the desecration of the first day of the week. Now, I'm not here to say that the COVID-19 pandemic is going to cause the, the preachers of this land to say such a thing. But unless you're completely disconnected from prophetic realities, if you understand what prophecy teaches, you could see very easily how this pandemic, if it gets worse, if it doesn't get better, if it causes the economy to completely collapse, and if it just keeps going and going and there's no end in sight, it could very easily lead to the end of the world. And if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you need to be awake to that reality. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen. It very well could be a month from now that we'll be on the downslope and we'll look back and say, well, I guess God's people still aren't ready for the final crisis. The four angels are still holding the four winds. But the last thing I want to share with you is actually a sermon. It's not a sermon. It's a 12-minute clip. And I'm going to give you the link for it. Um, It's by a Baptist minister by the name of Robert Field. I'm going to put it in the chat link so that you can go back on your own and listen to it later. We're not going to listen to it here. I'm just going to share some highlights with you. But that is the link. And the title for this presentation is Why God Took Sunday Away. And now this is not from the leading pulpits of the land. So this doesn't fulfill Ellen White's statements about when you hear from the pulpits of the popular churches about Sunday being desecrated, then, you know, we'll be at the end. This is from a a pastor in Montreal, Quebec, in Canada. And he makes a, I'm just going to summarize a few of the statements that he makes, but you should listen to it yourself. That's the link. Copy it into your browser. Go back and listen to it. It's just 12 minutes. And he says, Sunday has been taken away. Gatherings have been taken away from by God. And he's like, you know, it's nice that we can meet by live stream, but it's not the same. Something is missing. These live streams are a poor replacement for gathering on the Lord's day. Then he's asked, he starts asking some questions. He says, what is God trying to teach his church? Why would God take away Sunday? And then he says, you know, all of these churches where the gospel is being preached on Sunday, so many venues for sharing the gospel have been reduced. And he says there's several reasons for this. He says this is God's judgment on his people. And he says the church needs to wake up and hear his voice. And he says a key reason, he says in looking at our, at our present condition as Christians, he says the virus is a judgment on us. Church is closed. God has eradicated worship on his day. He has taken Sunday away. And then he goes on to say he is sending the message that he is not pleased with what we have done to his day of worship. And then he says, do you really think we have been honoring this day? He's like, we have not been following the fourth commandment. As an Adventist, I chuckle to hear him say that they haven't been following the fourth commandment. He talks about how Israel lost their day of worship by being sent to exile into Babylon. 
He's like, what used to be the Lord's day has been turned into the Lord's hour. He's like, we don't abstain from work and play. Sunday has become optional for Christians. We can opt out of church for going to games or movies or lawn work or a day at the beach, whatever. Um, and he's, then he's like, the church burns to the ground while the fourth commandment is violating. And then he says, we're teaching the next generation that Sunday is not important. <clears throat> and then he closes by saying, perhaps with the loss of Sunday in the weeks ahead, we will see its necessity. And he quotes Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, which is, of course, speaking of the seventh-day Sabbath, but he uses it to promote Sunday sacredness. And he says, will we repent and change, or will we stay as a lukewarm church? And he's like, God is speaking, but are we listening to his sermon? Now, this is very interesting to me, because if that idea shared by this pastor in Montreal, Quebec, takes off, and leading ministers of the land start to share the same thing, as Seventh-day Adventists, we would know that the end of all things is here. And so, you know, Luke chapter 21 <clears throat> offers some encouragement when many would seem to be scared by what's happening in the world around us. As Seventh-day Adventists, we don't need to be scared because we understand that signs of the coming of the, of the Lord should be good news for us that, that our Savior and King is coming to take us home. And so I'm going to close by reading Luke 21, 25 to 28, and then I'll ans answer a couple of questions. So here Jesus is speaking. It says, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. You know, a lot of people are afraid right now, but we don't need to be as God's people. And then it closes the last two verses. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh, or your redemption draws near. So I'm of the hope that our redemption is drawing near. I'm not saying that the COVID pandemic is going to lead to the Sunday law, but it could if things get a lot worse. And as God's people, um, we don't need to be having a mentality of putting down the trumpet like, oh, this is just a, a little bump in the road of earth's history. Jesus isn't coming anytime soon. He very well could be coming soon, but we'll see. But we certainly want to be ready for that. Now, I want to answer this question about when does probation close in relation to the Sunday law, and when it closes, does it close for everyone who knows the truth and those who don't? Is there an extended probation period for those who don't? So very good question. The way I would explain the close of probation, it's from the Bible. Um, first of all, we understand when in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, when Michael stands up, that is describing the close of probation. We also understand in Revelation um, chapter 22, verse 11, that's describing the close of probation when the voice is heard, he that is unjust, let him not be unjust, till he which is filthy, let him be filthy, still he that is righteous, let him be righteous, till he that is holy, let him be holy still. So Revelation 22, 11 and Daniel 12, verse 1 are describing the same thing. But how do we describe the sequence of the close of probation based on Scripture? And I would use the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Um, so Matthew chapter 25 is a description of God's church just before Jesus comes back and the church is sleeping. But then at midnight, a cry is made that wakes up the entire church. Now, prophetically speaking, the midnight cry is the loud cry. So when the loud cry goes out, the entire Adventist church is going to wake up. Now, what happens under the loud cry? During the loud cry, the, the earth is illuminated with the glory of God's character, but you also have the message that Babylon has fallen, it's become the habitation of devils. And then the call is given in verses 4 and 5 of Revelation 18, where it says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. Verse 5 says, For her sins have reached unto heaven. Ellen White says in Last Day Events, page 198, that Babylon's sins reach heaven at the Sunday law. 
So the midnight cry, in other words, in this parable, the midnight cry that wakes up the whole church is the loud cry. And everyone in the Adventist church will wake up at the national Sunday law because everyone's going to say, oh, wow, Jesus is here. He is at the door. When the Sunday law comes, there's not going to be an Adventist alive who does not understand the meaning of that. So Matthew 25 or 6 is the midnight cry, which is um, describing the loud cry of Revelation 18, which takes us to verse 5, which says Babylon's sins have reached into heaven. And Ellen White tells us in Last Day Events 198 that Babylon's sins reach heaven at the Sunday law. Now, what does that have to do with the close of probation? Here's what it has to do. Everybody wakes up. The wise and the foolish virgins, the wise are prepared, the foolish are not. And the foolish during this time are looking for the oil and they don't have it. The wise virgins have the oil. They now receive the outpouring of the latter rain and they give the loud cry between verses 7 and 10. And at the end of verse 10, um, while the foolish are out looking for the Holy Spirit, it says they that were ready went in with the bridegroom to the marriage and the door was shut. When the door is shut, that's the close of probation. So probation doesn't close at the beginning of the Sunday law. The prob- probation closes um, after the loud cry has been given. But here's the thing. There's not an opportunity for a second chance, so to speak, once the Sunday law hits. So the way, so this is an illustration that might make or help you to understand um, why you won't have more opportunity for preparation, but why probation hasn't closed yet. And that is this: all of us who've been in school, we've all taken examinations. We enter into the room to take the test. I mean, I'm old enough to at least say, "Well, I would walk into the room and I'd have a pen or a pencil and I'd write out my answers on the exam sheet." Until I took standardized computer tests for board exams. So, you know, for all of my other exams, I'd walk into the room, pen and paper, or have have a pen and fill out the answers on the paper that that the professor would give to me. So when I walked through the door and sat down to take the examination, my opportunity for, for preparation was over. I would demonstrate my knowledge as soon as I started answering the questions until I turned in the test. But my probation for whether or not I had passed the test or not and what grade I would get did not close until I handed the test in. Same with all of you when you've taken a test. So probation closes when you hand in the test in that scenario. So here in this scenario, Seventh-day Adventists are the ones whose opportunity for preparation closes first, but their probation doesn't close as soon as the Sunday law starts. The, the the wise virgins go out and give the loud cry message. They'll be the 144,000. The foolish virgins um, will end up receiving the mark of the beast because they don't have the fruits of the spirit. But during that time, those in the other churches will respond to the message, come out of her, my people. Um, and so God's people in the other churches who didn't have all of the truth and the light that Adventists have had, will have an opportunity between the Sunday law and the closing of that door to join God's church uh, because they didn't have all the truths that we had. Um, but Adventists who have all the light um, won't have an opportunity to gain that um, experience once the Sunday law comes. So that's why some people have said, oh, well, probation closes for Adventists at the Sunday law. Well, you know, you might be kind of splitting hairs and playing semantics a little bit, but really probation only closes once, and that's when Michael stands up, and that happens at the same time. And as best as I can understand from studying the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, probation closes at the death decree as you have the Sunday law escalate to the point that you will be put to death that's when um, probation closes for the entire world. And then Jacob's time of trouble starts after that. So hopefully that makes sense um, as well. But yeah, Sunday law, when the Sunday law comes, there's no more opportunity for um, preparation. Um, And then the question is, when do we leave the cities if we need to sound a loud cry? So I read the statement from Testimonies, Volume 5, pages 464, 465 where Ellen White says, as the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was the signal for flight to the Judean Christians, so the assumption of power 
on the part of our nation in the, dec in the decree enforcing the papal Sabbath will be a warning to us. It will then be time to leave the large cities preparatory to leaving the smaller ones for retired homes and secluded places among the mountains. So Sunday law is your last chance to get out. Ideally, you would be out of the cities now and working the cities from outposts outside of the city. We don't ignore the cities. We still work them, but we don't live in them. You know, when the final crisis hits, you're going to have a limited time to get out. You don't want to say, well, it's going to take me three days to pack up my whole house. No, you better get in the car and get out of there immediately because once the city goes on lockdown, you won't be getting out. So, you know, um, that's just something to keep in mind. Um, but, um, the loud cry will be given, um, Ellen White says in Great Controversy, it's, um, Earth's final warning towards the end of that. I want to say it's around page 612, but don't hold me to that. Um, she says, servants of God with their faces lighted up will hasten from place to place to give the message. So, um, I don't necessarily get the idea that we're going to be in, large arenas or football stadiums speaking to 50,000 people. It's going to be more like a door to door effort um, of thousands of faithful Adventists going door to door, sharing the last message before probation closes. Um, so, yeah. So I think that's, um, so the question, is there a specific Sunday law reference in the Bible? So I kind of went through that in the Bible study. It doesn't, you know, Ellen White and Seventh Adventists in modern language use the term Sunday law. It's a legislation. Um, but the term itself, Sunday law, um, isn't used in the Bible. But um, I, I showed that from the study this evening that the first beast speaks, it has a mouth speaking great things, and it sought to change times and laws. So that was changing Sabbath to Sunday. That was the Catholic Church doing that. And then the second beast will have a, it will speak as a dragon. A nation speaks through its laws. And when it speaks like a dragon, it will have a mouth speaking great things. And it will also um, subvert God's law. And that will be through a Sunday law as well. So that's where we get the understanding of the Sunday law from Scripture. So thankfully, the Bible is clear on these things. And and again, I just want to encourage, you know, any of you who may have not had clarity or weren't totally convinced of Sunday laws, listen, Seventh-day Adventists aren't just making up cunningly devised fables about Sunday laws. This is rock solid, very clear from Scripture that there will be a law passed by the second beast of Revelation 13, which is the United States of America, which will subvert the law of God. That's the a Sunday law and will cause the earth to worship the papacy when its deadly wound is healed. And that's when we as Seventh-day Adventists will give the loud cry warning. But listen, I just want to encourage all of you as well. Now is a great time um, to um, be sharing with people who are open-minded about uh, what's going to happen um, in the future and what prophecy says. Um, you know, as far as like, what do we tell people who think we are a cult for believing in a Sunday law? Um, I would just simply say um, we just follow clearly what Bible prophecy teaches us. And um, when they start to see these things happening, they'll know that what we've said is true all along. And um, it's it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. And what's happened with this pandemic is 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 a clear reminder of how quickly this world can change. And um, it's 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 remarkable um, how much of a different world we're living in right now. So I will say a word of prayer, and we will um, we will close our study. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for being with us this evening. We thank you for the more sure word of prophecy that shines light in the darkness of this world. We thank you that um, despite our unworthiness, that somehow you saw fit to call each one of us to be Seventh-day Adventists at such a momentous time of Earth's history. Lord, we just don't feel worthy, but we know that by your grace and strength, you were able to use us to be your witnesses to the to the world around us. And so 
Thank you for the high calling you've given us. I pray that we would be faithful like Daniel and his friends in this modern world. May our hearts not fail us for fear, but may we lift up our heads and realize that our redemption is drawing near, that Jesus is coming soon, and that that our eyes have not even seen or even imagined the things that you have prepared for us in the heaven that is to come and the earth that will be made new. Help us to make that our priority and to be looking for your your soon return. May we be faithful, forgive us for our sins, and strengthen us, enable us to overcome in the areas that we need victory. And I just pray for each person here, for people who are struggling with challenges, discouragements, whatever issues that they may be, that you would um, step in and, and just come right in and, and be the God that you've promised that you would be to each one of us. And so we thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for the more sure word of prophecy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org.